or here it's it was a church in Bethlehem then the theme of our wedding it was all white and she has short hair you know the African kind of style that I like you know <laughs> <laughs> Boswell and Mavis are on cloud nine even in the malls they will kiss they hug each other in front of people they just don't care they're in love They've just celebrated three years of wedded bliss. You see, the first time when I look at her, I could see that this is the woman I want to spend my life with. It was love at first click after they connected online. I saw many women there, but then I saw her. I just got a message. He told me, no, my name is Boswell. I'm staying in Pretoria. I saw your profile, so I'm interested if maybe we can chat. They spoke every day, but only ever in the evenings. During the day, even in the morning, I'm trying to say, good morning, Boswell, then he's quiet. Then after two weeks, that's when I ask him, uh-uh, tell me exactly, I don't understand. Where exactly are you? Why is he only available at night? She asked that, are you married? What do you do? Then I told her that I'll explain that later. She continued to press him. And that's when he told me the story. Boswell was serving a life sentence at Hosimampuru Prison in Pretoria. Think back on the last 10 years. How many weddings, graduations, baby showers and funerals have you attended? Think about the new things. Instagram, Taxify, Spotify. Now imagine losing a decade. This is what happened to Jabulo, Boswell, Bridget and Tembegile. In this special report from News24 and the Vitz Justice Project, we tell the stories of people who were wrongfully convicted. We explore the human cost of when justice is denied. Mavis is in a taxi, headed for the prison. The 30-year-old is going to meet Boswell for the first time. And I was wearing miniskirt with pantyhose and high heels. She's wearing her finest threads, dressed to impress. And she's minutes away from meeting a man who had just dropped a major bombshell. Then the officials started to discuss, will we be able to allow her to go in. Her visit is in jeopardy. Because they said no, the miniskirt are not allowed. After a lengthy deliberation, they finally allow her in. Immediately when I enter the, I suffered from a stomach ache. She's a bundle of nerves. I've never met him. I only saw him on pictures. I, I could see that she was nervous, but I was also a little bit nervous. So I tried being brave, you know. I hugged her and talked to her as if like, you know, it's normal like that. I was trying to hide what I was also feeling inside. We talked maybe for 15 minutes. Hey, that stomach ache. I said, oh, I need a toilet now. <laughs> she needed a few moments to gain her composure. But time wasn't on their side. Before they knew it, their allocated visiting hour was over. And they hadn't even scratched the surface of the things she wanted to know. Despite the unusual circumstances, she was determined to pursue the relationship. When she laid eyes on him, her gut told her, 
he was innocent. My mom called me. She told me that she found someone online. She was like, it's Boswell Mshongo. We should go to Pretoria because he's in prison. This is Mpoh. She's 20 years old and she lives in the Free State. She's the oldest of Mavis's three daughters. Four years ago, she had a lot of questions about her mom's new partner. Like, why is he, is he in jail? What did he do? I don't like a person who revs a car too much because what it does, that noise that it does, it damages your valves, you understand? So you don't rev it high. There's a certain limit where you can rev it and leave it there. Boswell knows the workings of a car like the back of his hand. So the improvements I've done, I've changed the gearbox and changed the gear ratios because it was it has low ratios on it. I also changed the clutch, the clutch plate. I made it a button clutch for sports cars. From early childhood, he'd spent hours tinkering with TVs, broken irons and kettles. I, I never liked soccer. My sport was always cars, engines. In high school, he split his time between the classroom and the scrapyard. There was a guy by our place, he was fixing cars. He was actually a panel beater. So I started getting to know him and then he would call me, you know, after school you can come spend the time here and see what the people are doing here. So each and every after school then I went there to work. And it was a joy for me, it was like a blessing in disguise because that's why I noticed that now I enjoy this more than anything else. Boswell started working on cars full time. He worked his way up the ladder, putting in overtime so he could perfect his craft. After a few years, he was feeling established. I was staying in Hamaskral, but I was working in Chubek in Radio Corp. I was also fixing cars there. I was settled and things were right. Then one day, a neighbor had a message for him. He said, The police were here, they are looking for you. I went to Temple Police Station to ask them that I hear their police looking for me. Boswell's nightmare started on August 3rd, 2002, when Warrant Officer Dingan Makuna came home from work. He lived in Motuklung in the northwest. He was in his yard when two men approached, wanting his baki. When Dingan wouldn't relinquish the vehicle, shots were fired. He was shot in the presence of his daughter. She was the only eyewitness. Her father died in hospital. Police were in hot pursuit of the men responsible for killing one of their colleagues. In October, a man named Tabo Majeke contacted police, apparently in pursuit of an informer reward. Tabo was already awaiting trial in Odi prison in Pretoria for an unrelated crime. In an out-of-court statement, also known as an extracurial statement, he fingered seven men as conspirators to the crime, naming Boswell as the getaway driver. Investigating officers became suspicious of Tabo after hearing his story, so they added him to the suspect list. He became accused number one. At the police station, Boswell arrived to a laundry list of accusations. That guy there, he said that you, you were there. You, you went with them to Mututlum, and then you drove off with them. Boswell hardly knew Tabo. The investigating officer pressed on. Then he said to me, you, you are nothing. Here we've got 
people who come here who are even much bigger than you but we will make sure that they agree to what we tell them then i told them that you either kill me but rest assured that i'll never agree to something that i don't know boswell was shuffled from one police officer to another all wanting him to plead guilty to a crime he insisted he knew nothing about but no one was giving him any information on what exactly happened and how he was involved all he knew was that tabo majeke came forward and identified him as an accomplice tabo also named tembikile molaudzi disco and kosi samuel kanye george makubela and victor moyo as conspirators an eighth man was also named but he went into hiding from there they formally charged me and then i went to court boswell was denied bail as the only eyewitness dingan's daughter was asked to point out suspects in a lineup it was through a one way mirror whereby you cannot see the person but the person in the other room can see you clearly so the witness came in she was the sole witness who saw and witness when the offense was being committed she knew the perpetrators who actually killed her father she didn't pick boswell the murder trial went ahead and the group of men faced charges of murder robbery with aggravating circumstances attempted robbery unlawful possession of firearms and unlawful possession of ammunition so there was no physical evidence because they didn't get any firearms but we were like sentenced like that no weapon was found on boswell none of his fingerprints were found at the crime scene and the chief eyewitness didn't point him out in the id parade the key evidence supporting boswell's conviction was based almost exclusively on the statements made by his co-accused all of the accused pleaded not guilty including tabo unexpectedly tabo accused number 1 recanted his earlier statements and subsequently changed his story again on two separate occasions a trial within a trial was held to decide whether tabo's statements were admissible in court the court concluded that tabo's statements could be used as evidence on the 22 of july 2004 that's when they uh, like sentenced us to prison justice monica liu now northwest judge president sentenced the men to life imprisonment for murder they were also sentenced to 15 years imprisonment for robbery and 3 years imprisonment for possession of firearms and the possession of ammunition they were acquitted of the charge of conspiracy to commit robbery On July 23, 2004, Boswell started his sentence as a convicted murderer in the maximum security section of Khosimampuru Correctional Center in Pretoria. You'll arrive at the prison reception area where they will make you to strip naked. While naked, prisoners are told to squat. and cough this is to dislodge any contraband like knives or drugs or money which might be stored in the rectum and then after that they will give you their own underwear socks and those soft shoes 
and this jumping suit the orange one that's written cmex on it and then they will take your fingerprints boswell says the prison warders ruled like dictators you shower while they are standing there watching you you understand how uncomfortable that is you can't go where you want to go you can't do things that you want to do you are always been told what to do and your life is like a routine and it's like you feel, you you feel like you're useless because there's nothing you can do about the situation to me what i actually wished for was like to just die you know and, you know forget about everything boswell is a problem solver at home when appliances stopped working he'd fix them when cars would cough out smoke he'd find the right remedy but now his life needed fixing and he had a permanent solution there are those prisoners who are aggressive so they give them this tablets they call them lepenex they are very strong they make them sleepy for boswell it was an open shut case freedom or death he started swapping his phone cards for the pills during his first round of bartering he was able to collect 30 pills but the dosage wasn't strong enough to end his life a few months later he was able to collect more then it came to a point where i got about 80 of those lepenex pills so i took those pills and then slept i didn't feel any pain boswell was found unresponsive in his cell the prognosis was grim i think i spent 6 months in hospital in a coma his mother virginia wouldn't allow doctors to give up on her son but then i woke up again in i think it was kalafong hospital i was very sad and i was also saddened by the fact that now i will see my mother again now she will be crying you understand and i just wanted it to be over with that when she cries she must just cry once then it's done you understand virginia encouraged him to find strength in his faith my mother she was the only one who believed in me she because she stood by me all those times you understand he decided to give living another chance for the sake of his mother she really knew that my son didn't do this you understand and she's the one who believed that yeah so one day you will come out so she was like my pillar with a renewed lease on life he started journaling and writing letters and these are those letters this is the letter I've written for to the minister of justice and this is another one also directed to the minister of justice This one come from the human uh, human rights commission. This one is the um public protector when Tulima Donsela was still the advocate there, but still nothing happened with this. Boswell was bombarding the Department of Justice, the South African Human Rights Commission, the public protector and the presidency with letters proclaiming his innocence. Like as you can see through my letters, there's no way I've said to them come and remove me out of prison because I'm a model prisoner and all that all that I always cried for was that can you assist me to reopen my case or that I can have a review of my case because one two three here's evidence but no one cared about that evidence It's 2013. 
Boswell and Mavis's online love connection has lasted longer than most people expected. I think my mom, I told her after six months. My mom said, hey, are you mad? Their relationship started when Boswell decided to break some rules. Well, Boswell had a single cell, and because he was studying IT, um, he had special privileges, So, and he had a PC, which I think his mother, who was selling vegetables at the side of the road, had saved up money to buy him. Carolyn Raffaele is a senior journalist with the Wits Justice Project based in the journalism department at Wits University in Johannesburg. The project investigates human rights abuses related to the criminal justice system with specific focus on wrongful convictions. She's been with the organization nearly a decade. Boswell is pretty ingenious and he found a way to use his PC for, let's say, nefarious ends because... You should not be on a dating site in prison, but he managed to find his way onto a dating site. Carolyn first learned about Boswell while trying to assist one of his co-accused, Tembekile Molaudzi. She was helping Tembekile obtain his trial transcripts in order to prove his own innocence. You'll hear about Tembekile's story and the issue of the missing transcripts in an upcoming episode. After more than 10 years in prison, Boswell, like Tembekile, still wasn't in a position to appeal his case, as he still wasn't able to obtain his transcripts. Without the transcripts, neither Boswell nor any of his seven co-accused were able to appeal their cases. It was only after the Witz Justice Project successfully obtained those transcripts that Boswell was finally able to file his appeal in the Northwest High Court. He filed an appeal with the Northwest High Court but it was denied. Undeterred, he petitioned the Supreme Court in Bloemfontein. In August 2013, his appeal was denied again. I think I had spoken to Mavis on the phone a number of times before I met her. She's a very strong woman, very sensitive, very insightful, and I think she's been super supportive of Boswell. Um, and I think she, she's really carried him. A year into their relationship, things were getting serious. She said she loves him. And she hopes that one day, maybe one day, he will be out of jail so that they could start a family together. Mpo always wanted her mother to have a fairy tale ending after her parents broke up. It's painful because, you know, you see other kids with they are real families. You were like, I wish, I just wish my dad was there for me and my mom. They could be together and play happy families, but I never got that chance. Mavis knew the relationship would last. She wanted to formally introduce Boswell to Mpo. We were waiting in the visiting area. Then I looked up, he was approaching to us. We hugged, okay, and he told me that he's going to be my new father. They got on like a house on fire. When Mavis saw how invested Boswell was in her family, it motivated her even more to fight for his freedom. I think she's a very determined woman and she set her mind to helping him get out of prison. She wanted her man. At this stage, Boswell had exhausted all his legal options. His last chance at freedom was at the Constitutional Court. 
The Kong Court is South Africa's highest court. It deals primarily with cases of constitutional significance, often cases in which human rights are violated. Boswell decided that he would lodge a joint appeal with a fellow accused called Disco Nkosi. The men had similar grounds for an appeal, so they decided it would be easier to work together. There was this one uh, offender as well. He was, uh, he, he was also studying law. So I spoke to him about it because he was also helping other offenders as well. They couldn't afford a private attorney to move their case forward, so they reached out to an inmate who was studying law. Then he said to me, no man, bring me your records. Then he, he, he read everything. That inmate drafted Boswell and Disco's Concord application, and once the papers were drafted, Mavis raised enough money to make copies of all the papers the Concord required for the appeal. She went to the Concord, she carried, she delivered, she nagged, she begged, she pleaded. Mavis filed the papers and waited to hear back from the court. It seemed like forever. I got a call. It was advocate Don Rechiodan on the line. He told Mavis, It's me, Mr. Jordan. I'm the lawyer who will represent Boswell. So I want a prison number because I want to go there and talk to him personally. Advocate Jordan was appointed to represent Boswell and Disco at the Concord. On March 10, 2015, Advocate Jordan told the full bench of judges that the charges against Boswell and Disco should be dropped. He argued that the only evidence implicating Boswell and Disco were out-of-court statements by Tabo, which both he and state prosecutor Nigel Carpenter argued was unconstitutional. In addition, he told the court there was no independent corroboration for Tabo's out-of-court statements. After hearing the arguments, the court adjourned to consider its verdict. Two weeks passed. Advocate Jordan and Mavis hadn't heard back from the Concord. For Mavis, if Boswell's appeal wasn't successful, their relationship would be over. She was planning to leave Johannesburg and move back to the Free State. I was busy with boxes, packing my things. It had been almost two years and she was losing her fighting spirit. I just light the candle and pray, God, please show me the way. Now I was shouting and crying and furious there alone in the room. Her phone rang mid-prayer. It was Advocate Jordan. Hello, Mr. Jordan again. Mavis, how are you? I said, she said, no, I'm not okay. He had good news. The judges ruled that the evidence Tabo provided should not have been admissible in court. The court ruled that Tabo's uncorroborated hearsay evidence was not admissible, and that if the out-of-court statements were excluded, then there'd be insufficient evidence to secure Boswell's conviction. As a result, both Boswell and Disco's convictions and sentence were set aside, and a warrant of liberation ordered for their immediate release. This judgment also created a legal precedent because out-of-court statements by one co-accused are no longer regarded as admissible against another co-accused. 
thank God at least now my prayers have been answered. Boswell and Mavis were finally going to be together. But when prison officials broke the news to Boswell, he thought it was a joke. You see, when you spend a lot of time, like many years in prison, I mean, you experience a lot of things. You know how official can lie to a person saying that, yeah, you're going out now. Pack your things. The person will pack your things, then they'll say that we are, we are joking. So, like, I will only believe once I'm in a taxi or out, you know, of the, those gates. Because they can even say, hey, come back, where are you going? Everything seemed to happen at the speed of light. One moment he was in his cell, the next he was sitting in a taxi with Mavis. The moment was overwhelming. Our life in general is like we are still in prison. We were thinking immediately when he's out, then things will start to be smooth. Because everything we do it, we do it in, with struggle. Because you can just imagine a life after a prison is like you are a newborn baby. You don't have anything. Boswell and Mavis were unemployed. They were receiving financial support from their mothers. They needed time to adjust to life together as a couple. And at the same time, Boswell needed time to adjust to life outside of prison and adjust to a world that had changed immeasurably. In their first weeks together, Boswell was having trouble sleeping. And like, I can be in a deep sleep, but if something, a small thing, you know, just move, then I'll be awake. The thing that I'm struggling about, he doesn't like to be in a, in a crowd. And don't tell me to go to the mall. Yo, I don't like that place. Even, even now, I have my days whereby I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to see anyone. Some I'll even tell them, you know what, I'm, I'm not okay. So just give me my space up until I'm alright. He was skilled and educated, but still, Boswell couldn't shake the stigma that comes with incarceration. This one is for diesel mechanic. It's a trade certificate. That one, it means that I'm a qualified mechanic whereby I can repair any diesel-operated vehicle. Boswell has a folder bursting at the seams. He has a gallery of certificates and awards. Okay, this is my N5. In the final years of his prison sentence, he started to apply himself. And then, okay, this one they gave me because I was also working in prison as an assistant, you see, distributor for the bulletin. Bulletin is a prison newspaper. I don't know why they even said assistant because I was like writing most of the stories there. <laughs> he wrote his matric obtained an advanced computer diploma and continued to upskill himself. There are so many of them. I don't even know where others are. When Mavis came into his life in 2013, she inspired him to make more strides. This woman, she stood by my side all this time. Their relationship has been characterized by big wins and enormous loss. After a long search for work, Boswell finally landed a job. So did Mavis, but she was forced to accept work in a different town. Unable to spend more than a few days together each month, their enforced separation continued. 
Though Boswell had to work for free initially, his work ethic soon shone through and he found paid employment. But not long after Boswell's release, his mother died. It's very painful. She's the only person who I was very, very close with. Now I feel like I failed because I even dream of building a very big house that, you know, she'll just be a madam in her own house. Almost four years since he walked out of Khosi Mampuru's prison gates, he's working as a motor mechanic in Hammanskral. Mavis has found a job at a perfume factory in Johannesburg. They're still living apart, but at least they're able to spend weekends together. Finally, things are looking up. It was a shock when my mom told me she's about to get married. Um, she asked me to be one of her bridesmaids. We were indoors for about one month fasting so that the wedding day could be perfect. No disturbances, no rain, no nothing. Boswell and Mavis were married on a sunny December day in 2015. Here we are at church at matrimonial. Then it's where we are taking photos. Okay, yeah, it's a family photo. It's me and my kids, all of them. That is me. It was a very beautiful day. My mom was happy and I was happy for her. She found happiness at the end. A man of her dreams. <laughs> Boswell lost 13 years of his life. At the time of his arrest, his career was thriving and he had a home and a car. What I've lost cannot be, you know, regained. I think it's only a, a, a slogan that says everyone is equal before the law, but that's not the case. Before I went to prison, I respected the constitution. But now I know that it's just a book. You are not protected by the constitution. He was 37 years old when he was released from prison and he was forced to start afresh. After the bitter years behind bars, Boswell's life is starting to sweeten. He's gained a devoted wife and three children. I call him Bestie. <laughs> he calls me Bestie. I take him as my best friend because we can talk about everything, anything. My life is better because I now have a father. I'm happy. He gives me love. He cares for me. He supports my dreams. He's always there for me whenever I need him as a father. Justice Denied is a News 24 production in collaboration with the Vitz Justice Project. This episode was produced and written by Nokutula Manyati, narrated by Jerusha Sukthio Rath, with editorial oversight by Carolyn Rafaeli and Jerusha Sukthio Rath, additional reporting by Carolyn Rafaeli and Charlene Root, with additional sound engineering by Charlene Root. You can find this and more episodes on News 24, SoundCloud, and your podcast store. 